And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode 632, continuing our team-by-team fantasy baseball previews for the 2024 fantasy baseball season. We head to the AL West. We kick off the AL West with the bottom feeders in the AL West, the Oakland Athletics for now, soon to be Las Vegas or who knows where at some point in time. In order to help me break them down, special special friend of mine, because it's tough to find anybody to help break down the (laughs) Oakland Athletics, so... This one's a big one for me. You can find his work over at PitcherList.com. He's a managing editor over there on the Going Deep segments. He's also the other half of the First Pitch Podcast with myself. He covers the weekends for me over there. Does a lot of great work at Baseball HQ, in the Pen Pod, the Free Baseball Pod. The dude likes baseball. The dude's busy. Let's put it that way. He's in Barf with me. I had the pleasure of meeting him at Barf. Got the pleasure of hanging out with him at First Pitch Arizona. That's great right. guy. Mr. And you can find him on Twitter, at Jake Crumpler. Jake Crumpler, how are we doing, my friend? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, we're talking about an unfortunate team, but I'm always pumped to talk about baseball. Yeah, and more importantly, if people watch the YouTube video, the real team is on his bed behind him. <laughs> That's the one that really matters, but we're going to talk about the other team in the Bay for That's, now yeah. at this point in time. Um, before we get started, though, did I miss anything? Because you are a busy man, so if I did or I didn't, whatever, let people know what you got going on. I kind of gave the cliff notes. No, I, I I think you got everything. Yeah, just, you know, pitcher list, baseball HQ. And then, like you said, my personal podcast, Free Baseball. Uh, yeah, I, I I keep myself busy. Yes, yes, you do. Like, uh, like every now and then I'll see him even in like the HQ, like uh, Slack. He's updating rosters. And then he's in the, the pitcher list Discord doing this and that. And then he's doing like, it, it's a busy man. He's a he's busy on the weekends, too. Like when he's doing the first pitch pod, that is not a yeah. task. So that's Oof. amazing stuff. Um. So as usual, we're going to preview the Oakland Athletics, and this is going to be a doozy. So let's start with, I guess, the player that most people are excited. At least I know I'm excited about because there's like fantasy relevance. We saw a piece of the pie in uh, in 2023, and that is Zach Geloff. He got called up um, around, I want to say like July, but I could be totally wrong. I'm just like spitballing off the top of my head. He played 69 games, uh, 14 homers, 14 steals, hit 267, and when it comes to Geloff. Um, you know, you're not paying a premium for a guy with the power and speed he brings to the table uh, over the last 15 drafts and ADP of 135 on the NFBC. So when you see a guy like Zach Geloff, what are your thoughts fantasy-wise when you um, see the profile of Zach Geloff? Uh, it's intriguing. You got power and speed, but that's about it, especially with the supporting staff around him. He's not going to be a huge run producer in either the runs or RBI department. And obviously there are concerns. You got the adjustments that he's got to make to big league pitching and the adjustments he's got to make as a young player in general, he'll be 24 next year. He strikes out, I think a bit too much. He was at 27.3% last year. And that's concerning because that's already pretty high. And, you know, like I mentioned with the adjustments that he has to make on top of just the sophomore slump and everything, there's a chance he's striking out 30% or more of the time, which could really tank his batting average, which is at fine 267 last year. That's, that's pretty solid, but I I think he could be more of a 230, 240 hitter with, you know, 20 to 20, 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases, which is great production. But that early in the draft, you're sort of banking a lot, especially as I mentioned, he's not going to be producing a lot in the runs and RBI department. So the playing time is going to be there. The power and speed is going to be there, but there might be too much whiff for the average to be something that's actually going to help your team. 
Yeah, that's the 100% of the conundrum. Like part of me thinks, okay, he's young, growing pains, hit 250, I'll be happy. But like you said, the, the swing and miss is real. Like that's something that he needs to – and he's young, so I'm thinking we've seen guys improve on that. At the same time, he hasn't shown that yet, so we have to expect mm-hmm. like how's that going to go. But the power speed's awesome, and I, I'm a fan. And, and since you're a Giants fan like myself, I, I'm going to ask you this question because if you're looking at like the second base position, uh, like Zach Giloff goes at 140, 134. Thyro Estrada goes at 135. Who do you pick between the two? I That early in the draft, I got to go with somebody more proven, especially if we're talking 15-teamers, so I would go with Tyro. He's got a better supporting cast as well, so I'd have more confidence that he's going to score more runs or produce more RBI than Geloff will. I think there's more upside with Geloff, but the downside is is a lot higher as well. So the, the variance with Geloff would probably have me steering towards Tyro Estrada because of the place in the draft that you're being forced to take them. Yeah, we're on the same page on that one because I've had that conversation with Bloomfield and others on other shows, and it's so tempting. Both great profiles, both got power speed. One's proven, one's not, and that's pretty mm-hmm. much like the make it or break it part of it, yeah. which is fun. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out this year, actually, between the two. Ryan Noda, he was kind of a fun one last year. Some people were starting to whisper, like, a rule five pick. He has to play this year. Like, if you're late in a draft or a draft and hold or something, he's worth a gamble. Um, He showed some really good OBP skills, but uh, the average was a little suspect. Did have a weird, fluky injury in the season. But it's still a guy, Jake, that has an ADP of, like, 427. So he's not costing off. He's going after Ryan O'Hearn and Nolan Chanel and everything. So, What's your thoughts on Ryan Noda? Because I think there's enough there to keep us intrigued, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, he's definitely interesting. Obviously has power, hit 16 home runs last year, and was a guy who was at 25 or more home runs in each of the previous two seasons in the minor leagues with the Dodgers. I did a Rule 5 draft ranking of the guys that were selected prior to last season, and I ranked Noda, I think I had him number one uh, in terms of fantasy value going into the next season. I don't think he was quite number one, but it had to be close. There, It was pretty slim pickings. It was like him and Blake Sable and then maybe a couple of relievers that somehow found some value just by being pretty solid. It, it's sort of the same thing, though, with Noda. He strikes out even more than Geloff. He's at 34.3%, which is incredibly high. He's got very Joey Gallo-esque plate discipline metrics in terms of he walks a ton, but he also strikes out a ton, and he hits for pretty decent power. The power isn't as good as Gallo as well. Um, so I don't want to call him like a, a discount Joey Gallo, but it, it feels like that a little bit. I would love him in an OBP league, but I don't think many people play in those. I guess points leagues are fine too, but the strikeouts sort of cut away from that walk rate, which is incredibly high, over 15.5%. But when you're looking at an average, it's going to be at 230 at the highest last year he was at 229 it came with a 347 BABIP so I don't even see that can uh continuing so he's going to be like a low 200s batting average guy and 15 to 20 home runs it, there's some positives in that right now roster resource projects him to bat lead off for the team which could get him plenty of runs considering that he gets on base over 36% of the time. But outside of that, he's not super intriguing if he doesn't make some changes to his swing and miss. Got good barrel rate numbers. I, he hits the ball hard and walks a lot, but everything else sort of takes away from that. Yeah, and that's what I, I was looking at. I'm like, the, the price makes him very like interesting and attractive. But, um, yeah, you mentioned the BABIP, the swing and miss, and I'm like, yeah, 
there's some things we still got to work on, kid. But um, you never know. It, it could happen. And the, the the beautiful thing about a team like the A's, and like we've talked about the White Sox and some other not-so-great teams, is these young players will get a chance to play. Like, mm-hmm. there's really no other reason not to play Ryan Nota as much as possible. So that that's a plus as well. So we'll see how that pans out. Brent Rooker, talk about a surprise last season. And to be fair to Brent, he's usually been like a backup, a platoon guy, been hurt, whatever. Got the full run for the first time, only 28 last year, so he's not even that old. For some reason, it felt like Brent Rooker's been around forever. He hadn't been. 30 home runs, 246 average, ADP of around 308 entering the draft season. What are we thinking on Brent Rooker? Was this for reals or like, man, you had a great season, but let's temper those expectations. (laughs) I would definitely temper expectations. It's really hard to buy into guys after they have their big breakout season because they're almost assuredly not going to reproduce what they did. And I sound like a broken record, but this guy also strikes out way too much, nearing 33% last year. It was a, a really exciting year, and I love that he had the opportunity to do this. And it allowed him to become a star on Twitter. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a, awesome on Twitter. Yeah, he's a great follow. Uh, I just... I don't know if the batting average is going to hold up. He, he was near 250 last year. I feel like that's going to fall, and I doubt he repeats another 30 home run season. On the plus side, he does have pretty incredible stat cast metrics, which include a hard hit rate nearing 50% and a barrel rate above 15.5%. So I do think the power is legit. He proved that throughout his minor league career as well. But once again, we're talking about a, a guy batting in the middle of the A's order, which is <laughs> awful. Um, and he's going to strike out too much. So it's it's somewhat concerning, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's like a, a late flyer if you're really in need of power because he's obviously going to play. He was the team's lone all-star last year. So I, I have confidence that he will play. He'll probably hit 20 to 25 home runs. The batting average is going to hurt you. It's probably going to be below 240, or around 225 or 230. Yeah, it's. I don't, it feels like the same with the last three guys where it's just there's so much going against them playing for the team that they play in in the ballpark that they play with the strikeout problems and coming off seasons that don't seem repeatable. Yeah, I, I want to root for Brent Rooker, but it's likely a guy that I'm probably going to be avoiding. Yeah, I barely, I think maybe because I just draft too much, I might have a share or two, but he's not a focus of mine. Let's put it that way. It's more like an end game. Hey, it's a deep outfield league. I need some help here. Like, let's do something, but definitely not a focal point. And, and I think as I'm with you too, like, I'm rooting for these guys. I think it'd be great. But uh, the realistic part of it, you're on a bad team and this probably isn't going to get any better for you. Uh, let's go to a guy that doesn't strike out a lot, though. This will be a shocker because. If you would have just like listed these players off, I would have thought this guy struck out a lot just because of all the be, going into 2023. Oh, Esther Ruiz can't get on base. He can't hit for average, all these things. And he actually played pretty darn good last year. Um, he hit two, 254, which with his speed, that'll play. Not a ton of power, but tons of speed. Um, ADP, though, you got to pay for him at 121. So you're paying for steals is what you're paying for because yeah. ain't a whole lot else coming with that package. So what's your thought on Ruiz? Uh, Yeah, the steals are legit. This guy is really fast. 67 steals last year. It's just he's not going to provide anything with the bat. Like the average is going to be right around league average, which is fine. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to help you. But the the steals are legit. 67 steals, like I said, in just 132 games. So this is a guy that has 70 steal potential and he might be the best base dealer in baseball. 
the thing is he just he he swings a, a wet noodle out there where it's just he's not gonna impact the ball he had nine barrels the whole year uh it's a two and a half percent barrel rate so he's not gonna be hitting many home runs had just five last year um yeah I, it's I, I don't know how do you feel about rabbits in general in, I'm not, in drafting I'm not a strategy fan. i'm not a yeah. fan like, like if they're later in drafts okay cool whatever like like the old days where i'm totally leaving blanking on his name now with the guys you can get super late fine I'm not paying for him. Yeah, that, I, I agree. It, it's sort of just like what Miles Straw morphed into, where it's yeah. just he's not going to produce anything other than steals. And even last year, I think he only had 20 steals or something. So it was uh, just an empty, empty draft slot. I think Ruiz is probably going to be guaranteed to steal at least 30 bases next year. So you're you're guaranteed the steals. You can feel confident about that. But when you're drafting in the first 10 rounds in a, in a 12 teamer and you have to take a guy like this, that's going to be detrimental all over the place outside of stolen bases. It's really hard for me to buy into that. I agree with you that if he was going after pick 200, I'd be down, you know, it's, it's a huge boon to your stolen base totals in a Roto league, but everything else is, is going to be dragging you down. And on top of that, we, we have to mention it again. He's not going to be scoring a lot or knocking in a lot of runs because he's on such a bad team, but the steals are legit. It's just, that that ADP is is way above the price range that I'd like to buy into. Yeah, because like when you're drafting him right now, he's your second, maybe third outfielder if you're aggressive in outfield, oh, but probably your so second. Bad. And it's like at that point, I need at least three categories, if yeah. not four. Like if we're just playing the one category again, like that's got to be your end game kind of situation at outfield, and um, and that's just not where he like last year he was. That's where he was getting drafted, and you can play that game and finagle it. But um, yeah, it's a little, little trickier when there's other guys going around him that. Uh, Give a little more, put a little more into the uh, the old stat categories for you. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious your thoughts on Shea Langoliers here because um, what we saw from Shea, power, legit power. Obviously, run, the run, counting stats, the A's. We, we're going to say this over and over again, but he only hit 205. And that's where it makes it tough for me to trust a guy like Shea Langoliers because the hit tool seems pretty darn good uh, as you dig in, like not the swing and miss, of course, but the actual hit tool seems good. And you get him at an ADP of 244. He's the 19th catcher off the board. So he's not costing much at all in the world of catchers. But a 205 average is less than ideal. Flip side, one last thing I want to add. It's almost almost like the Sean Murphy days with the A's. He plays a ton. He plays a ton for catchers. Mm-hmm. So what's your thoughts on Langlier's? Like, Do you think he can improve enough on the average to make it sustainable for fantasy? Or is it kind of like, man, that just hurts too much? I think in a two catcher league, I would be down to have him as my second catcher. I I think that there could be improvements in the average department. Like you said, 205, and that seems warranted given he struck out 29% of the time, but it came with a 246 BABIP. So I think there's improvement there, especially with the shift uh, restrictions right now. So if he wants to pull the ball a lot, he can do that. He does hit the ball in the air a lot, so that's likely going to keep the BABIP lower than uh, 300. He's probably more of a 270 guy, but I, I think he could be pretty decent. Like, I, I don't know, 22 home runs from your second catcher in a in a two-catcher league in a 15-team league is very solid, in my opinion, and he had a 13% barrel rate, so the power is definitely legit. I I do wish that there was more upside, but I, I read a little bit. I think it was on Jeff Zimmerman's Mining the News that he made some changes at the end of last year. I don't remember exactly what they were, but I think there's a possibility that he continues to improve, you know, reaching that. Uh, what's the threshold for plate appearances when 
a player really starts to to show who they are. I could be totally wrong. I'm, I always think like it's like between five and six hundred. Like, I, like a full, that's, why, cause that's like one full season. I know yeah. some. I, so I know some metrics. It's almost like a season and a half that you uh-huh. need. But to me, it's like give me one full season of, and I kind of see who you are. Yeah. So he's at six hundred forty-three for his major league career. So I think we're getting to the point where he's getting used to major league hitting. And honestly, I'd like to dive in to see if he improved in the second half because. I I do think that this is a guy that could make a couple slight changes and could actually improve a lot. He did not do better in the second half. He had a 206 average. But well, he yeah, came I get worried with catchers because they get tired in the second half. That's yeah. where it's like tricky in that regard. Yeah. So I I think where he currently is, which I would consider his floor, like 20 home runs and a low 200 batting average, is fine for a second catcher in a deep league. But if he does make some changes to cut back on the swings and swing and miss, then I, I think he could be legit. I think he could bat 240 and hit 25 to 30 home runs, which that's like that's first catcher territory. Yep. Yeah, no, that's why I was really curious your thoughts on him because I've been in on him and but at the same time kind of like, well, let me see what other people think. So I'm not just like naive and I believe there is another level to this player. But at the same time, if it's just like you said, 20 to 25 homers and like 210, yeah, my, my I guess my my question, like my debate in my fantasy brain, is like sixty picks later, you can get Jake Rogers. Now tell me the difference between the two. <laughs> That's where it gets real tricky for me. Both kind of on rough teams, both pretty much strictly power guys, not a whole lot else in the tank, and that's where that one gets tricky. Now Shaylen Gallier, I think, has a better stranglehold on the job, going to play a lot more than than Rogers. But to me, that's a, a lot of similarity between the two, basically. Yeah, I think you're you're betting on upside with Langleyers. Yep, for sure. All right, let's talk Seth Brown. Now he's probably in a platoon these days with the A's, but we've seen like the good and the bads of Seth Brown. Like last year, though, he only played 112 games, you know, due to injuries and whatnot. But the year before, 150 games, 25 homers, 11 steals. He's always showcased some power, a little bit of speed. Average is the question mark, but you're paying an ADP of 465. Is this a guy that interests you at all, or is it just like? More waiver wire fodder. Yeah, I think he's like an AL only league guy. This is, uh, as you mentioned with Brent Rooker, you thought he would be older than he is because he's been around forever. Seth Brown is sort of the opposite, where it feels like he's should be in his like late 20s. Like he feels like he should be going into his 28 season, but he's going to be 31 next year. Steamer projection for 21 home runs and six steals. I I don't know where that's coming from because they have it in 113 games. He just doesn't excite me as he did because of his production in 2022 when he hit 25 home runs and stole 11 bases. He hits the ball pretty hard and is is decent, but I, I feel like if he does produce, he's going to get traded, which I thought he was a trade candidate last year, but the injuries and sort of the underperformance held him back from being a legitimate trade piece. So I think he could be a guy that gets traded to a team that can platoon him more effectively. Yeah. I think he's more ale only just because the performance is pretty mediocre. And then it comes with the, the, the playing time reduction due to him being platooned. Yeah. That's a good point. Especially the trade thing. I think it's really an intriguing one because he was a popular name before all the injuries took place. Let's talk J.J. Bleday, younger outfielder. Came over, came out kind of guns blazing mm-hmm. out the gate, and then he got banged up a little, and then production slowed down and everything. But looks like he should be on the strong side of the platoon again this year, maybe and get a little more of, of that situation. 
and he's got a post 600 ADP and drafted holds right now. So he's a definition of free. Like I've taken a lot of shares. He's like my 10th outfielder in a lot of leagues on these deep, deep, deep leagues. What's your thoughts on JJ Bleday? Cause I feel like that once a highly touted prospect, I think there's talent there. Do you think he mm-hmm. can maybe find it here in open? That's because sometimes for these quote unquote field prospects, going to a bad team is the best case scenario. Like just let him yeah. be comfortable. Yeah, you get the playing time. There's no expectations around you. You sort of just get to go and figure things out. And while I don't think he'll figure things out on the defensive end, I think he could finally do something at the plate. He does have interesting metrics all around, mostly in the plate discipline area because he walks so much, which I love as a a guy that prefers points leagues. That's my home league. So I'm always looking for guys that walk a lot. I I was interested in J.J. Bladé for a while, and then it just looked like those contact issues that plagued him during his career with the Marlins throughout the minor leagues sort of came back to bite him. And I I think he can figure things out. We saw in AAA last year with the A's that he seemed to figure things out with the strikeouts. He cut his strikeout rate below 14% when it had been consistently above 25% with the Marlins. And I think that's something that he can continue to work on and parlay into a full season. Like you said, he's going so late that it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work out. But if it does work out, I think he could be actually a legit surprise breakout guy where he hits 20 home runs, steals 15 bases. And while the average likely won't be high because he's probably not going to completely break away from the contact issues, I think he could be pretty interesting, especially if he, you know, finally breaks out and then clock climbs up that lineup and while as as we've mentioned many times that's his ceiling is still capped in terms of run production but it would be higher than him batting seventh in an A's lineup Mm -hmm. I I I like him that late that's 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 super interesting just because there's so much potential here and you're not risking anything taking him that late and that's why I'm all in it's like at that ADP when you're doing these draft and hold 50 rounds like you need 10 to 12 outfielders this is a dude that you just roll the dice on because he's going to regardless, he's going to play now how the mm-hmm. production plays out is is the, the bonus. But, you know, in the outfield at that point of the draft, it's Estevan Florial for the Guardians. He might even play. He might not even be in the majors. Uh, Victor Robles, the Nats. I think you kind of know who he is, like Alec Burleson, DJ Stewart. That's kind of interesting. But there's just a bunch of these younger kind of what if dudes. And Bladé at least has more of the playing time locked in, which is which is fun to see. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious there. When looking at the rest of the bats, like none of them stood out like crazy, crazy to me. Like Miguel Anahar is kind of interesting, but he's on the short side of the platoon. And these other, like Tyler Soderstrom, does he finally figure it out? Does anybody like th- that you want to discuss uh, on the ace uh, potential platoons bench that might uh, see some intriguing fantasy value this year? I think Soderstrom is an interesting one just because he brings so much power to the plate and he could. I don't know what his eligibility is going into 2024. Util only, but I'll tell you this is, and this is only NFPC, as most know. Like obviously, uh-huh. there are other platforms that uh, can change. But he's definitely not outfield. I'll tell you that much. Because no, I, I was I hoping that he would that. get catcher. No, so he's util only. Okay, yeah, he 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 showed legit power, and he he's a former first round pick back in 2020. So he does have that that hype still because it's only been a few years and he's only going to be 22 next year. So there's still obviously growing pains that he's going through, but that does mean that he could take a big leap forward as he continues to grow as a, as a baseball player and as a person, I guess if we want to get deep mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that the power is legit. He's a big guy. And I think breaking away from 
catcher might allow him to sort of focus more on hitting. If he's more of a, a DH corner outfield first base guy, I that could be pretty interesting. Obviously, I'm not taking him in any 12 teamers, and he's probably more of an AL only play. But the potential of him breaking out into 20 plus home runs is definitely there, and the playing time is always going to be there. So Soderstrom's pretty interesting. I also, for some reason, am intrigued by Miguel Andujar. Yeah, I'm with it's, you. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while. It's been yeah. a while. 2018 was his his rookie year when he was really incredible, and he's done absolutely nothing since then. He's played. He hasn't even played in 50 games in a season since then. Mm-hmm. So injuries and underperformance, it, it's it's all there. But we saw him just have an incredible minor league season last year with the Pirates, where he batted 338 with 16 home runs. I think offensive. Offense is super boosted in AAA, at least for last year, because he only had a 135 WRC plus. But that does intrigue me a little. And maybe we're so far removed from all the hype and expectation that he had that, like you said, going to a place with no expectations in Oakland and maybe getting a shot at regular playing time and just sort of having fun playing baseball could help him figure things out. There's there's potential. He honestly wasn't even that bad when he got called up with the pirates towards the end of the season he played in just 30 games but he hit four home runs it was a 105 wrc plus i i don't think he's gonna repeat that rookie season when he was so incredible but there is a shot that he's not too bad and and there's always going to be playing time yep i'm with you I, that's one i know bloomfield's always been like uh even last year when he got called up and we were doing like a fad previews he's like keep an eye on miguel andahar because like the, you see it there it is sitting right there it's like unleash it uh, I just hope the A's and the A's can be, again, be the perfect team to make this happen. It's like one injury away from not platooning. And this is his, like, maybe give him three weeks to see what he can figure out. And mm-hmm. that's very, very intriguing. So I'm with you. And he's free in drafts. So yeah, I'm very curious to see what Miguel Anahar can do. So I'm glad you, you highlighted that one for sure. Now let's go to the mount. Um, this is where, you know, more streamers than reality situation mm-hmm. here. But you never know. Like, they all have their purpose. I've streamed many an A's pitcher. Not sure I've rostered one for a full season in a long time, but I've streamed many. Let's start with J.P. Sears. Technically the ace of the staff, according to roster resource. I think it's more of a, hey, he's been here for a while and done his thing. And give him credit, 32 starts last year, 172 innings with a 4.54 ERA is actually not too bad when you look at J.P. Sears, who has an ADP of almost 400. So, you know, you get an innings eater like that, not crushing your ratios by any means. What are your thoughts on J.P. Sears? He's been pretty interesting ever since Pitcherless implemented PLV. Mm-hmm. That's our our very own stat uh, produced by a, a big team of people, but mostly my guy Kyle Bland. Um, he's great in PLV. He was 23rd in all of baseball among starting pitchers last year with a 5.17 PLV. And it's mostly due to his, let's see, it's his fastball i guess and his slider it's it's weird because he doesn't have a pitch that really stands out in terms of production the fastball grade in in plv only had a 24.6 percent csw the slider similar 31 percent csw and and the change up for 24 percent csw so it's like none of the pitches actually performed really well but the shape of those pitches and what we might expect of them should be higher so i think there is still potential there with jp sears 
it's just it's a very toby-esque profile which like you said is fine for streaming it's fine for leagues where you just need innings which points leagues have that as well he tossed 172 last year so i could see him going north of 180 and and even close to 200 if he's able to stay healthy all year but there's gonna need to be some sort of change to make him better because like you said the era didn't hurt you last year at four and a half but it came with a 5.27 xfip so it's not like he was he was had potential outside of that it's not like he was getting unlucky so there are inklings of potential here and it's mostly plv but it's really hard to buy into him having more success especially because the wins are going to be not there he had five last year and 32 starts so rough man (laughs) yeah so he's he's a decent streamer when he gets the right opportunity and maybe you're just waiting for those waves of success as many players go through sort of waves of of being on fire and, and being cold and I think we'll obviously see that with Sears. You're not going to be streaming him for wins, but maybe you stream him for a nice six inning start where he throws a quality start and maybe strikes out six or seven batters. And that can help you every once in a while, but it's not going to be a guy that I'm drafting late in drafts, hoping to catch lightning in a bottle and that he figures something out because like I said, outside of the PLV, there's nothing that's really intriguing me. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And that's, that's why the A's, like I said, they're, they're very streamable at times. And, and Sears had a couple runs throughout the season that were very, very serviceable. Waldachuk did too. Sadly, won't see him probably this season. But uh, they, they had some moments there. Let's talk about Paul Blackburn, another guy that up and down with injuries, made 20 starts this past year, 21 the year before. He's around the 110 innings combined or like on average the last two years, maybe 107 if you want to get technical. But again, another ERA, four and a half to four, you know, four and two quarter. Like he's not crushing you by any means in that regard, but not lighting the world on fire. But the strikeouts did come up this last year, which was a bit of a a plus if you have to find some angle to look at. So what are your thoughts on Paul Blackburn, another guy that, you know, his ADP is 566. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they came up. The strikeouts came up, but not too, not enough. They, they came up to 22 and a half percent, which is still, uh, not great. And it came with uh, an increase to his walk rate as well, up 3% there. So he sort of traded the, the the control for more strikeouts, which I don't think paid off enough because the underlying metrics don't suggest that that was the correct change. His XFIP rose uh, 0.3 points as well. I like him even less than JP Sears because I don't see a next level for him. And while he does feel like a Miles Mikolask s guy where he's going to be an innings eater, he has not been that. He's topped out at 111 innings, so you wouldn't expect him to toss more than, I don't know, 135, 145. It's not like they have to worry about him, but obviously the injuries are there, so that that's going to hold him back. But like I said, with the walk rate rising so much, the whip jumped super high to 1.54 last year and that's going to hurt you massively yeah so even though the era is not awful the whip is terrible and basically the only calling card he has is inducing weak contact and when the weak contact is turning into hits uh it's it's not too great so yeah I, i would probably stay far away from paul blackburn fair enough fair enough you might get burned um, I really <laughs> want to know your thoughts on this one, though, because I'm going to keep my biases out of this, and I'm going to let you talk first before I say what I think. But Luis Medina, not even 25 yet, first prospect called up last year. He has an ADP of 578. 
what are we thinking with Luis Medina, who did throw 109 innings last year? And if you combine AAA, we're talking like 125 now. Yeah, 109 innings of five and a half ERA. That's really intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think the, the stuff is legit. He throws really hard. He averaged 96 miles per hour on his fastball last year. So that's 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 one step. And he's been a guy who struck out a lot more batters in the minors than he did in his debut last year. The problem has always been the walks. While he did strike out a decent amount of batters in the minors, it always came with walk rates, sometimes even north of 15%. and over 20% when he pitched in triple a for the A's last year. So that's the biggest thing for me is like, he's got stuff, but he can't control it. And that's usually a profile that I like to stay away from. I you, like, usually you want to bet on stuff over control most of the time, but I think that's more so a rule for relievers where it's like the small sample sizes that you have and, and, you know, pitching an inning at a time. Can you, can he allow you to sort of, pitch around the increased walk rates but when you're a starter and you're trying to go multiple innings and you're giving up uh, four free base runners every nine innings it's it's not going to end up well and that whip is just going to be way too high for me to stomach so even if he does bring his era down and it's more four to four and a half that whip is not going to be below 1.3 which is not something i like to bank on but there is potential in that fastball yeah, that's where I I watched I watch I game logged a lot of his starts <laughs> last year. Let me be clear on that, mainly yeah. for like DFS purposes. He's always basically free, but um, like there was a stretch there. I was just looking back. He had like a six start stretch where it was almost at least five innings a start. It was like three runs or less in like four of the six starts. Like he showed much more promise in this, like this window. Where I'm like, man, can you find that person regularly? That would be great because I'm with you. On the days he wasn't walking, guys, starts are pretty solid. But the problem is, like, every two out of three starts were starts with walks. And that that was the inconsistency within my in my head. I'm sitting there going, okay, he's going to be 25 this year. He's still improving. Let's see if we can, like, kind of take the next step. And at the same time is, do I trust the A's to help him take the next step? <laughs> Probably not. So yeah. that's, like, the conundrum. Like, the stuff, like you said, very – it's there. There's a talent. There's something you can mold with and work with there. It's just the situation, like it's like Luzardo. Can you like just trade him somewhere, please? Just like trade Medina somewhere. We can all enjoy the fruits of his labor at some point in time. But uh, yeah, so like I've been taking chances super, super late in draft and just because the value's there, see where it goes. But I'm curious on like everybody's thoughts I can get on it because it's just the profile looks good, but overall production a little shaky. Mm-hmm. Other than that, though, like they have Joe Boyle and Osvaldo Beto, and Beto had his or Bido, I probably pronounced wrong. He had I think his moments. Okay, Beto. He had his moments with the Pirates last year. Um, is, are there any other starting pitchers that interest you with the A's? Yeah, Boyle actually does interest me. He's okay. very similar to Medina, but he throws a lot harder, and he was able to avoid walks during his major league debut, his brief debut. He had just three starts last year, but it came with a 1.69 ERA and he walked just 8.3% of batters. And he averages 98 miles per hour with his fastball. So that's a a really good base to build off of. He's only going to be 24 next year as well. So I don't expect the innings totals to be super high, but if he's locked into a starting role, I think this is a a pretty interesting flyer, super late in drafts, because I don't think Basically, that's, anybody's in on Joe Boyle. Surprisingly, a 453 ADP. Oh, I was shocked too. I was looking yeah. for like a, I was searching, he's going right after like Drew Thorpe. Uh, so two young, <laughs> wow. two young guys going back to back. 
Uh, I look I looked up Boyle's Fangraphs page while you were talking, and um, a hundred and about twenty innings, a little less than one hundred twenty innings combined throughout the minors and the bigs. So that's good as well because now you're going to be able to get probably one forty, one fifty out of them. So mm-hmm. um, I'm still even at four fifty three. I'm intrigued like that uh, by what you're talking about there. That's a very interesting price point to say the least. Yeah, uh, and he's got he's got a three pitch mix, so he's got a a slider that plays super well off the fastball when you're throwing 98 and then you got a 10 mile per hour difference with your slider it helped him a lot he got a lot of called strikes with it last year which are hard to carry over but that's going to happen when you think the you got a fastball coming right at you and then it cuts at the last second and lands in the zone and then a a curveball as well uh i guess just to give players another look that one had just an absolutely incredible uh called strike rate 99th percentile and 39 percent there so that that's another pitch that he's just dropping in there yeah i I think this is a guy that is gonna have a lot of growing pains and that the walk rates in the minor leagues were even higher than medina so there's gonna be starts where you're just like how is this guy in the major leagues, he can't throw strikes. And that that's something you're just going to have to push through. But I think in deep leagues, if you want to take a fire on him, this is a pretty interesting guy because he throws so hard. He has two breaking pitches that he's able to throw in the zone for strikes. And I, I have a feeling that Nick's going to be doing a breakdown of one of his one of his starts at some point on YouTube where he's just like gushing over his insane velocity and and the breaking pitches are all working well in tandem and he just has a a couple good starts and he might not be a guy you hold on your team the whole year but i think there's going to be a stretch where he's fantasy relevant not nick nick would never do such a thing about a guy with (laughs) ridiculous movement and velocity not not at all no that'll be great no that's that's good because i didn't know a ton about joe boyle so that's very very uh exciting to hear that as another option with the A's and in fantasy, um, let's head to the bullpen. And this is one that I was, I'm not the only one that was doing it, but I was sitting there talking with Bloomfield or somebody on a show at one point saying, Mason Miller's got some great stuff. He can't stay healthy. Put him in the bullpen. I said the same thing about AJ Puck. Like, there's a bunch of guys that, you know, you just got to suck it up and be like, you might not be a starter. Then it was like two weeks later, Mason Miller going to spend most of his time in the bullpen, if not all the time in the bullpen or whatever they're going to do. So now what's your thoughts on Mason Miller? Are you drafting him as if he's the A's closer, or how would you kind of um, predict his season coming up? Yeah, this is honestly one of the, maybe the biggest conundrum on the A's team, where there's clearly so much potential, but his innings are going to be limited. We're not totally sure what his role is going to be. Like you said, there are people talking about him becoming the closer. And when we were at first pitch, mm-hmm. uh, I, the bullpen guys, I think it was Doug Dennis, and I forget who the other guy was up there with him. They had uh, their closers chart for reliever recon, and they had Mason Miller as the closer. And that was the first time that Rick and I, Rick Graham and I mm-hmm. sat there and we were like, oh, wow, that's actually interesting that people that are so highly touted in, in terms of uh, fantasy analysis are considering Mason Miller as a closer I had a lot of qualms with that, not because of what kind of pitcher Mason Miller is, but just because of the state of the A's and the state of Mason Miller. I think the biggest problem with him being a closer next year is that the A's are the one of the cheapest, maybe the cheapest team in baseball. And one way to avoid paying players a lot is 
especially with the relievers, is not letting them get saves. And if you're letting a guy get a bunch of saves before he hits arbitration, he's going to be so expensive when he hits arbitration. And there's, I there's, think there's no chance the A's do that. I think he will be used as a reliever. All reports suggest that that's what Mark Kotze has been directed to do. But I think he's going to be more of a, a bulk guy that comes out for 50 to 60 pitches at a time. So he's tossing, you know, three to four innings uh, at the most and uh, either that's at the beginning of ball games or it's in the middle of ball games I, his usage i think is going to be similar to jordan hicks who the giants just signed where it's just like he's used all over the place sometimes as a starter sometimes in the middle of the game sometimes for one inning sometimes for multiple innings but i don't think it's going to be as the closer because each save that he racks up bumps that arbitration price up and the a's are a team that are always looking to cut costs and I don't see that happening. That being said, Mason Miller is an incredible talent. His fastball is legit. I did the gift breakdown for him on his major league debut. And that was that was even before Nick, you know, got super pumped about him as well. Because he's got a, a full arsenal with the slider, the cutter, and a little bit of a changeup. But the fastball is so legit. He also has control issues where he's walking a lot of guys. But with the strikeouts and the velocity and everything, he's going to be super exciting. This is not – the problem with the way that he's going to be used next year is it makes him really difficult to use in fantasy. Like, if you're drafting him as a starter, you're not going to get the innings totals. You're not going to get all the counting stats that come with that. You're not going to get any wins. And if you're drafting him as a reliever or a closer, you're not getting the saves. You're not getting all the all the stuff that you want with that. So the only place that I could see drafting him is a, a league like my home league where – you have a game started limit and you want guys that are coming out for multiple innings out of the bullpen. So I'm always looking for guys like this that are legitimately deadly middle relievers or guys that are going to be bulk relievers. So the giants were, were huge last year because they would, they would use openers with every single pitcher. And then you could get a decent amount of points with a guy going four innings or whatever, three innings out of the bullpen. And I think Mason Miller could be legit in that regard, but he's not going to throw more than, 75 100 innings i think 100 innings is the like 99th percentile and just the uncertainty with his role and the lack of either being a complete starter or being a complete closer and the fact that he's probably not going to be like off and on the il or, or up and down between the minor leagues and that he likely stays on the team the whole year because they're limiting his workload so well it, it's not like a guy that's like oh, I can start him for five starts or whatever. He gets injured. I put him on my IL and that opens up another roster spot. Then you have to, you can pick up somebody else. It's I like think he's going to be there the whole time. All right. Yeah. So I, I think the, the biggest thing here is it's going to be hard to use Mason Miller in fantasy because there's going to be no flexibility in terms of his roster spot because he's always going to be on the roster and it's not going to be in the role that you want him. So I think, what, what's his ADP at right now? Mason Miller's ADP is 211. That's yeah, that's too high because people are drafting him as a closer and I don't think he's going to close and if you're drafting him there as a starter, it's also not going to be worth it because he's either not going to be used as a starter or if he does his innings are going to be too low and he's just going to be restricted too much. So then I guess the question comes down to do you take a chance on Lucas Irsig to be the closer because I've heard some smart people say, "Well, maybe he's the guy to make it happen." 
Yeah, they have a bunch of guys there that I think have the potential to close. We've seen Zach Jackson do it in the past. I have a feeling he might be the guy that starts the year as the closer, though there's little consideration from fantasy consensus that he's going to be the closer. They also got Trevor Gott. Oh, that was a cool. He they got him. Yeah, um, <laughs> he could uh, he could potentially close as well. I don't have a lot of faith in him. He was a uh, he closed for the Giants in the a few years ago. Uh, he was so, so bad. A little bit, yeah. It was, it was, uh, that was. Oh, you're talking about Trevor Gott? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He yeah. Did. That yeah. was a dark time. I, I think he had a, uh, he had, let's see, he had four saves for the Giants in 2020. He came with a 10 ERA. Nice. Um, yeah. And I think <laughs> Danny Jimenez could have a shot as well. But Lucas Ursedge is, I, I have no idea how to pronounce his last name, but uh, I'll go with that. He's really interesting because he's a converted position player. So it's like, he could continue to grow as a pitcher because he really hasn't pitched for that long. He's going to be I think, 29 next year. Um, but he was pretty decent last year in that he had a 4.75 ERA, but he struck out a lot of guys. 27% is pretty decent, but he walked a lot of guys, 14%. So I don't know. It's like, there's not too many great options in here. I would love to see Mason Miller close like, yeah. like like I said before, he won't, but that would be super great. I just have a feeling it's going to be one of those situations where they never really settle on someone. I have a feeling it's going to be similar to the Royals current situation where they have a few guys. I like the Royals situation more because the guys there, I think have more potential, but with the A's, they're going to have a few guys that are in consideration. And I think it's going to take them a while to really settle in on one. And then they're going to trade them. I thought that was going to happen last year with Trevor May, which they're, I'm still holding out hope the A's go and sign a guy like Trevor May like that, mostly to give uh, me and Rick something to talk about on In the Pen. Um, but yeah, right now there's nobody super intriguing. But if if I were to sort of throw a dart at somebody super late in drafts, it probably would be Ursage. Okay. Yeah. No, that, that's kind of who I'm leaning to. If I'm not going Miller, Ursage has been like my kind of go to 565. ADP, like you had nothing to lose mm -hmm. at that point. The way I see yeah. it, so we'll roll. Last but not least, here potential prospects. Uh, I'm not a prospect guy, but you know they called up a bunch of them last year, actually with Soderstrom and Geloff and Miller and Medina. Like at least they think Butler, Lewis Butler, who might get another shot this year. If you're looking at their system, is there anybody of fantasy relevance, or is it kind of a, I don't know, the A's? Yeah, it's it's hard to tell where they sort of consider themselves in their timeline of their franchise. Like, when do they want to start they bringing have in the, the timeline of their sure. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think their their timeline right now is being bad until they they move to Las Vegas. But it, it's hard to tell like when they're gonna start bringing in the wave of new prospects. Lawrence Butler, as you mentioned, is the first of that. He's interesting because he's got pretty decent tools in that he's got really great power and decent speed, but the play discipline metrics are awful. He just swings at absolutely everything. He had a 3% walk rate last year in 42 games. So the OBP is going to be super low, which is going to cut back on the runs. He He's interesting just because, like I said, the tools, but the, it's, it seems like the growing pains are going to be too steep there. And then the rest of the prospects are sort of just too far away it's like they they got max muncie a couple years ago and so he could be up this year but i don't see them having any reason to rush somebody like that 
And outside of that, there's like nobody on the 40 man roster. Lazaro Armentros is an interesting name because his name is cool. Um, but he is also a guy that strikes out too much. He was at 33% last year at double a as a 24 year old. So that's right in at the top of the order. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that's not going to play. He's going to need to make some changes. So yeah, uh, the future is bleak for the A's right now because they don't really have a lot of prospects that are going to be coming up anytime soon. And they really need a lot of prospects that are going to come up soon. But yeah, Lawrence Butler is probably the only guy there, but he seems too raw right now in terms of being able to handle big league pitching. Yep. Well, we'll see. We'll see how the A's do, but um, I appreciate you joining me to preview the A's. Like I'm a Geloff fan, but I'm agreeing with the concerns you have. Langoliers intrigues me, Um, especially like you mentioned catcher too. There's some fun, and the joke I make is every team, good or bad, will have fantasy players on them. It's just the reality mm-hmm. of it. That's why we cover all 30 teams. But uh, before we head on out of here, uh, why don't you plug everything you got going on and remind everybody where they can find you, and then uh, one of these days we'll talk some Giants baseball or something. Might sure, not be much yeah. better, but yeah. No, uh, well, yeah, they're doing. I'm, I'm honestly super pumped about Jordan Hicks. Uh, oh, I, I love I think it. That could I love be really move. exciting. Yeah. It, imagine him going through the Giants cheating lab. He's gonna be throwing 106. It's gonna be beautiful. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Crumpler. As you mentioned at the top of the show, I write for Pitcher List, uh, manager of the Going Deep team. I write articles there as well. I do a podcast called In the Pen. I'm likely to do the weekend editions of the First Pitch podcast to give Bubba a break during the week or during the weekend. He's going to be going during the week. Um, I have my personal podcast, Free Baseball, which goes every week as well. Um, that was the one that I recorded three hours yesterday. So <laughs> that was that was a, a new world record for me. Um, and then also writing over at Baseball HQ, they've got some great content there. But yeah, once again, you can find all my work at crumplerbaseball.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Jake Crumpler. Yeah, go check him out if you don't for some reason. Great follow, as you can tell on the show. Smart as heck, too. So uh, he loves his baseball, which is what I appreciate most of all. Fantasy's kind of second. Let's let's play baseball. So yeah. go check out all out. And, uh, Jake, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 632, your 2024 Oakland A's preview. Catch you all next time.